Hey Geek, sorry for the delay on this episode. We were running a little bit behind on the editing for this one, but rest assured, in addition to this episode dropping right now, in a few days on Friday, we're also releasing a full-length episode for the holiday season. So enjoy this episode, tell us what you think on social media, and then we'll uh, have another episode out for you later this week as well. So enjoy. The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not those of GUI Network, their sponsors, or any of the properties mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity. Well, it's a podcast, so you won't see the nudity. I just do it to make the guest uncomfortable. Gone mad with unnecessary reboots, remakes, and sequels. Only one podcast has the guts to make even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Hello, geeks, and welcome to another episode of Smack My Pitch Up. The shortlist. If you're unfamiliar with this new format that we're doing every so often here on Smack My Pitch Up, it's a opportunity for us to do a shorter episode where I get to flex my creative muscle in a slightly different way. Normal Smack My Pitch Ups, I'm using already existing materials uh, to reboot, remake, reimagine. On shortlist, I'm coming up with completely original content. So it might be inspired by something, but it's not a remake or reimagining of anything. And this evening, we are going into the headlines, uh, recent headlines, to get into ideas for this uh, story here. Last episode of Shortlist we did was a post-apocalyptic Thanksgiving story about the last turkey. And this time, before we get into the holidays of Christmas on uh, some ideas that we have for that, we are going to go into some current event stuff. The title of this film that I uh, wrote a treatment for and cast for you is headstrong. Now, if you're getting the reference already, just bear with me. Let me get through the basic uh, idea for this original film before you start calling me out for stupidity. So the basic characters here are Sean Becker and his girlfriend, Melissa, who, after a short relationship, decide to move in together. Sean is a well-known independent journalist that has done a lot of stuff, uh, a, a lot of political-oriented op-ed pieces and the like, and his girlfriend Melissa is a waitress that works in a nearby restaurant, and they've been together for only a few months, but due to circumstances ended up moving in together, uh, her moving into Sean's apartment. So you see a little montage as as the credits are rolling of them moving her boxes into his house, uh, getting everything kind of situated, you know, the pizza delivery guy coming, them eating pizza, and like walking her over the threshold and cutesy little romantic relationshipy type uh, stuff. Then as they're uh, finishing up their unpacking for the day, still plenty of boxes, plenty to do. They uh, have a sexy shower scene where they're making out in the shower. You see that uh, Sean's shoulder, there's a scar that looks like from a bullet wound on his shoulder. Then it cuts to them talking a little bit before going to sleep about their day and about, you know, is it crazy that they moved in together? And yes, it's crazy, but you know what? When two people love each other, Sometimes you just want want to wait. Really sweet conversation. They end up going to sleep. Cut to 
nightmares from Sean of protests at the beginning of the year uh, and all sorts of craziness and uh, him being shot. And then he wakes up in the morning in a cold sweat. It's morning. Uh, everything's fine. Girlfriend's still there. Boxes everywhere. And uh, he goes to work. So he goes into this little small paper that he's been working out of uh, recently. And his boss puts him on a story about a new social media service that uh, it, it removes all of the restrictions of previous uh, social media as far as what can, can or cannot be posted. And the app is called Duel. And uh, it's being used, or it's suggested that it's being used by far-right extremist groups for meetings and to plan rallies and maybe stuff even more unseemly than that. And so Sean has been put on this story to try to figure out exactly what's going on. You see him later that night as they're, uh, again, eating on top of cardboard boxes, still not fully unpacked, just kind of working at it. There's a little bit of progress that was made that day. He's surfing the internet. He's looking up information about all these groups in his town. This is based out of Richmond, Virginia, which is where I'm recording from. So they say, write what you know. And uh, I do know a lot about what's been going on in this past year as far as the, the conflicts between uh, Black Lives Matter and the other side contingency and also, you know, police force. And so I, I just said it in an area that I was familiar with. So he's looking up... Uh, people that are involved locally on some of the groups that are talking on this dual app, which clearly is just a parallel to parlor and finds out that there's some people talking about a old church that uh, hasn't been used for a while. And he kind of figures out that that might be a meeting point for, uh, for some unseemly stuff and decides to go check it out the next night. Now, the name of the group that is meeting in this church is uh, referred to kind of offhand as Headstrong, and he, he doesn't really know anything about it. It's not one of the bigger known groups that he's familiar with, but he goes to the church. He sees that there are some people kind of quietly amassing within the building, and he finds a space where he can kind of peek in on what they're doing without being uh, noticed, pulls out his recorder, and starts recording the conversation, though it's he's far enough away, he's not catching all of the information, but he hears little bits as they're going on, little uh, fragments about a plan called shadow work. They talk about a leader that will be coming in in the next couple days to watch the fireworks. And then to his surprise, both his girlfriend and his name are mentioned, or he thinks they're mentioned. He's not sure. It's one of those things that it sounded like their names, but he couldn't tell. Um, and it freaks him out a little bit. He ends up backing up and just like a movie trope, he ends up knocking a thing over, which makes people look around and he bolts out of there. Some people go to check it out, but when they look outside, there's nothing. And, uh, he runs, he feels like he's being followed. And so he cuts through a couple like alleys and bobs and weaves and ends up feeling comfortable enough that he can make his way back home. So right when he gets home, he ends up getting a phone call from his girlfriend and she's, uh, panicked. She's in the hospital on her way home from work at the restaurant, which is just a few blocks away from the uh, from his apartment. She was mugged. And so he rushes to the hospital. She's fine. Just a couple bumps and bruises, a little cut, nothing all that bad. They stole her wallet. And uh, the thing that's weird, though, is that they knew her name. And so he's not entirely sure what to do. And they end up going home and they're laying in bed and he's trying to calm her down, but he can't break away from that as, as much as he's asking her, you know, did you say your name? Did you, they look at your ID before they said your name? And she insists that they knew her name before 
They had her wallet before, you know, there was nobody there to say her name. They didn't know uh, her name tag wasn't on. There was no reason they should know her name. So he's mulling that over as she's sleeping and he's just having a restless night. That night he has nightmares again and it fills in a little bit more of what was happening that caused him to be shot uh, way back as he was shot by a 17 year old proud boy uh, while he was covering the Black Lives Matters protests in Los Angeles. And he was part of the crowd, the BLM crowd and covering it and kind of as, as an activist and also as a journalist and uh, happened to be one of the unfortunate people that the uh, bullets hit uh, when he opened fire. So the next day, Sean is doing research when he receives a call from Melissa and she's hysterical again. Uh, proud Boys cornered her on the way to work and told her to get her boyfriend to back off of his story. So now Sean's thinking that they definitely saw him or they figured out who he was or, you know, somehow they found out that there's a journalist that's kind of onto their, what is it, shadow work plans, whatever that is. And he, again, he doesn't really know anything, but they're already putting a lot of pressure on him. So he's not entirely sure what to do next. His boss asked if he's okay. He's looking visibly shaken. And he kind of mentions all the things that are going on with this story that his boss, you know, put him on and just how now like his girlfriend and his safety and well-being are in danger. And so his boss, Richard offers, you know, just stay with me, stay with me for a few nights until we get this all figured out. Um, it's probably not necessary, but it's better to be safer than sorry. You know, not a big deal at all. Um, come over right after work and I'll make dinner and we can hang out and kind of just calm down and a safe, safe space for you to, uh, rest your heels while all this is happening. So they show up at Richard's place and Melissa's given a tour. Um, Sean's been there before, so he's not worried about it. And so he's just perusing Richard's selections of movies and DVDs and, and CDs. He's got a weird amount of CDs, but he's an older gentleman. So he probably has just amassed them over time and doesn't want to get rid of them. You see him chuckle a couple times as he's looking over the CDs. Then they go and sit down for dinner and Richard's using like really weird woke language uh, that is clearly like ill-fitting clothing. It just doesn't really work with the way that he's using it. It just feels very uncomfortable and it's un unnecessary for just supposed friends sitting around the table and uh, and enjoying a meal together. It's it's too it's not about the subject matter that they're talking about. It's almost forcing the conversation to turn to fit into using the woke language. It's just very off-putting. So finally, they go to bed. There's a spare bedroom, and uh, Sean and Melissa, they, they end up passing out pretty quickly. But in the night, they're awakened by the sound of glass breaking and the skirmish happening, and then their door gets kicked in, and there's masked men that rip them out of bed and proceed to beat the crap out of Sean, and Melissa's screaming as they're, like, taping her hands together and grabbing her feet and carting her out. Sean tries to go after her, but again, he's like hit in the stomach with a baseball bat and thrown back on the bed where two men hold him down while a third one gets his arms and legs with duct tape so he can't move. And he's pinned to the bed as a shadowy figure walks into the light that's pouring in through the window of the spare bedroom, revealing the stranger's face to Sean. It's no one that he knows, but he has a, a menacing presence about him it's pretty clear that this uh, stranger that's come to talk to him is the leader that was discussed by the headstrong extremist group that he was spying over. And this is retaliation for him spying on their uh, their plans. So the leader 
tell Sean that they have his girlfriend and that if he doesn't play ball, really bad things will become of her. And then reveals little bits of information that by themselves may not be enough for him to figure out what's happening. But he talks about flaggers in town, kind of dismissing them as, as cannon fodder. And that all it takes is one big surprise to have all the blame pointed on the terrorists known as BLM. And then he mentions the war won't be a rumor for much longer, which for anybody that lives in Richmond knows all the controversy uh, going over a new statue that's been installed at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, that it's mimicking the statues that you see on Monument Avenue of the Confederate soldiers, but it's a black man on a horse. And the name of the statue is Rumors of War. The, the art piece itself is Rumors of War. And so it's a very well-known piece in Richmond that has a lot of controversy behind it. So it makes sense to Sean that they're going to use that as a staging area for this uh, event meant to discredit BLM and uh, supporters of civil rights. Then he says, we are headstrong. We'll take on anyone before knocking Sean out. Now, I know, I know, I know. Uh, now, when Sean regains consciousness, he and Richard hatch a plan to stop the bombing the next day, involving setting off tear gas canisters, both in the BLM and the flagger groups, simultaneously. So there isn't one side that thinks that the other side is attacking them. It's both sides are just freaked out that there's gas happening within the crowd, and they all disperse, uh, preventing a big crowd to uh, to explode, basically. And uh, it's not the best plan, but they can't really depend on the cops to do the right thing, especially with all the chaos that's been happening in the city with the different protests. Um, oftentimes, they just make the situation worse. So they have to figure out something that they can do to make this crowd dissipate to save lives. So Sean decides he's going to go home to their new or to their apartment and uh, change and sleep for the next day. And the next day is where the rallies are going to be held near the rumors of war. It's pretty obvious that there is going to be a time probably at the height of the rallies that uh, there's going to be the attack. So he goes home and he's trying to sleep. He's, but he's so stressed out. He's so worried that he can't sleep. And so he starts going through the boxes, putting up some of Melissa's stuff. That's uh, still sitting in boxes, just trying to distract himself. And uh, he gets to a box that has like movies and music in it and starts putting up her CDs on some empty shelving that he has in the living room. And as he grabs a stack of CDs on the top is a uh, trapped CD and that's when the thoughts of what the leader said start kind of bouncing around his head a little bit and that he recognized the phrase when he heard it, but just didn't know where it was from because clearly it wasn't from anything that was like important to him or popular anymore, at least. But that as he looks at this trapped CD, the self-titled CD, he flips it over and the very first track on it is a song called Headstrong. And as he remembers the lyrics to that song it, and the fact the leader said that, it's a bit confusing to him. And then he looks at the next CD and it's another trap CD and a trap CD by the name of shadow work. And he remembers the shadow work being mentioned as the name of the uh, operation that they were trying to, to pull. And he looks at shadow work and he opens it up. And to his surprise, when he opens up the CD, he finds a picture of his girlfriend, Melissa with the leader of the headstrong group. And Melissa's wearing a trapped t-shirt. Sean remembers seeing several trap CDs at Richard's collection as well, and that's where the craziness gets even deeper. He looks up the band on his phone, Trapped. This is just too much coincidence for him to, uh, to just ignore. And go figure, the lead singer of Trapped, Chris Taylor Brown, is the leader of Headstrong. 
He flips out. He throws the box of CDs. He realizes not only is his boss in cahoots with like extreme right wingers, uh, racist white nationalists, but so is his girlfriend of like six months has been using him as a ruse to work on some weird operation in town. And she's working with the racists. So after he flips out and gives himself a second, he's crying and angry and washes his face, looks in the mirror and he regains his composure. The next morning you see him getting ready, putting on a new shirt. He seems like he's gotten himself together a little bit. He seems like he's motivated, like he has a plan. So he goes to Richard's house and there Richard is getting ready as well. He's got two identical looking backpacks that he says has uh, gas canisters and gas masks available for the event uh, so that they're ready to go. Um, even when they're in the different groups, they, they have the same equipment. He hands one to Sean and then he runs into his room to grab his keys. Then you're cutting to the, the flagger protest in front of Rumors of War. It's a bunch of like older, uh, heavier uh, white men carrying flags, giant flags of the Confederate flag. And they're pacing back and forth in front of the Rumors of War statue. And 20 feet away behind a police barricade are BLM protesters and just local people holding up signs, uh, trying to beat the noise that's coming from the flaggers. The flaggers only being maybe a dozen guys, um, BLM crowd being much bigger. And as Richard and Sean come up to the scene, they spot Chris Taylor Brown in the crowd of flaggers. So he has infiltrated, as was discussed in his uh, in the little blips of his plan that was shared with uh, Sean earlier. So Richard and Sean split up. Uh, Sean joins the BLM crowd. Richard joins the flaggers. They are close to the front of the crowds so they can see each other. And Richard ends up positioning himself right next to Chris Taylor Brown, him being the primary target that they're looking for, uh, wanting him to end up getting pushed out of the crowd as quickly as possible if he does have any kind of uh, bums or anything on him. And so he signals Sean that he's ready and he's in position. Sean signals, and at the same time, they open up their bags to grab the quote-unquote canisters. But much to Richard's surprise, at some point, Sean has switched the bags. And instead of opening up a bag of random stuff meant to be the same weight as the other bag, he opens it up to find the bomb that he expected to be in Sean's bag that has a triggering system connected to the zipper. So as he opens it up, he hears a beeping noise, and he looks up just see Sean waving at him and then the explosion taking out Richard and Chris Taylor Brown, as well as injuring a few of the flaggers along the way as well. Sean looks into the random crap thrown in the bag um, to equal the weight of the, uh, the bag with the bomb in it. And right on top is a MAGA hat. So cut to Melissa, who's in the meeting room in the church that Sean first saw them planning this operation shadow work. And she's sitting in one of the pews of the church watching on her phone news footage about an explosion that happened during the protest in front of rumors of war, where what the news is suggesting is that a, a right-wing extremist had created a homemade bomb that was intended to be thrown into or, uh, or placed in the black lives matter protest crowd, but was accidentally set off uh, before he had the opportunity killing him and uh, several other and injuring several others uh, as well, including uh, the death of the uh, not-so-well-known lead singer of the early to mid-2000s um, rock band Trapped uh, as one of the victims, who is well-known as having some very hard right-wing uh, beliefs. 
So as she's watching this and realizing that her plan totally backfired, a MAGA hat lands in front of her. And of course, Sean is there to say, I'm assuming it was supposed to be the other way around before I switched the bags. Uh, Sean's there and tells her, now that's over. Which, for those unfamiliar, and that's fine. That's uh, one of the lyrics from Headstrong. She grins angrily and lays out a whole pl- her whole plan that she admits to being the one who turned Chris Taylor Brown extreme in the first place. Before uh, she got her mitts on him, he was just a regular run-of-the-mill racist. And in fact, she was the true leader of Headstrong. Chris was just an idiot placeholder. Then she gloats she can't pr- prove anything. Then she gloats that Sean can't prove anything. And Sean pulls out his portable recorder, the same one that he had when he was recording the, uh, the plan before, and says, I can now. She attacks him, but he's easily able to subdue her. He ties her up the same way that he was tied up on his bed and is gone before the police arrive to find her and the recorder right next to her with a little sticky note on it that says headstrong. Cut to one year later, you see Sean and he's speaking to Congress about the importance of shutting down extremist groups like Headstrong. We need to send a clear message to any racist or extremist organization. America stands for tolerance and inclusion. And if you stand against these ideals, then this is not where you belong. Thank you. I had to throw in a couple of uh, trapped uh, jokes in there. Now, I really like the idea for this. And this was definitely, obviously, first an idea to kind of make fun of trapped and parlor and Chris Taylor Brown and his absolute idiocy on social media and just his ideals, and they're fucking terrible, and fuck him. But it actually turned into kind of a fun, twisty thriller uh, that I, I've come to know and love those. It's a kind of equal parts uh, Get Out or the the classic, I believe, 90s or early 2000s thriller Arlington Road as well in there. And... It, it was really fun to kind of figure out how all these parts fit together and how to make the band trapped itself part of the story and not just this little placeholder of it could be any character and it just so happens to be him. So the fact that the albums of Trap themselves is what revealed the conspiracy, I thought was just a really fun way to play with that. Now, you might be thinking, how do you get this done properly? What director is going to be able to put the proper tone on it? And I think with this treatment that's clearly just a very quick passover on the idea of uh, how to put this together, I think with a little bit more polish and uh, a more professional deft hand at work here, uh, one like maybe Spike Lee could put some real juice to this story. Um, I think this, this could actually be a really cool idea for a story. Now, as far as the casting goes, for Sean, I needed a well-spoken, intelligent but a like down to earth and kind of hip character um, or, or actor that could really play that kind of character and a actor that I've been really enjoying in any of his work. And he has a very pretty broad spectrum of characters that he's played in some of these movies is Lakeith Stanfield. And I've definitely cast him before in other stuff, but you may know him from sorry to bother you. He was in get out. He was in knives out. Absolutely fantastic actor. He's around the right age for what I was looking for. And I think it's just like brings that right kind of energy to the character of Sean, who ultimately is a uh, very well-informed, thoughtful, and uh, motivated person um, in this story, the real hero. Then Melissa, I was thinking, you know, there are so many white actresses that you could have to play this role, but what is it about the character that, you really want to portray. And I think it's that whole feeling of being true to their word of being like a, 
a real, just normal, progressive person, you know, somebody that doesn't have any kind of ulterior motives. Uh, and then that hard turn into being, well, just an over, just a evil, evil racist. And much like the way that they used Henry Rollins and Sons of Anarchy to make him a racist when that's everything that he stands against and knowing that he stands against that, that he was able to use that energy to know how to play that role. I wanted to kind of push an actress that is known for her, uh, her push on social media and just in interviews for her strong feelings about like inclusion and representation uh, to play this horrible racist character. So I got Brie Larson to play Melissa. Then you move to Richard, an older gentleman that runs this newspaper. He comes off as relatively friendly, but then there's that like kind of fakeness to him as well, where the way that he has these conversations with, with Sean, it seems like really forced. And, and initially of course, this comes off as him just trying to be, hip with the with the younger kids kind of attitude or just being like the unhip white dude that's trying to be hip around the the not white dudes and it yeah it comes off just really kind of clunky and weird but it ends up being that he's just a really bad actor and a terrible racist that's helping this extremist organization set up a conspiracy so i thought it would really be really fun to see uh, brent gelman in this role gelman you may know from fleabag he was also the uh, journalist in uh, the conspiracy journalist that uh, ends up befriending the Russian guy in Stranger Things season three. He was in season two as well. And uh, also a film called Lemon. Then casting Chris Taylor Brown. Now, given the circumstances around the story, like what, what it is trying for here, I have a feeling that it's not going to be really appreciated by the, the eight fans of Trapped that still exist and Chris Taylor Brown. So we do need to get an actual actor to portray this uh, pile of garbage from the mid-2000s. And I was looking at a picture of him, and there's nobody that looks exactly like him, but to play like the spiky-haired kind of douche-bro character, I, was, I did not expect him to do as well as he did. Um, in the, but in The Boys, Sean Ashmore, playing Lamplighter, did a very good job of playing kind of like the self-important douche a bit, and I was impressed. You may also know him from playing Bobby Drake or Iceman in uh, many of the X-Men movies as well. So I think he would have a lot of fun in that role, being able to just be outrightly fucking terrible. Out of all these characters, there's only two characters that are able to be themselves the whole time. You've got Sean, and even then he has to play it cool that he doesn't know the conspiracy, that he doesn't know the plan towards the end. The only character that is themselves the entire time because they're a pawn and, and don't realize that they're being used is... Chris Taylor Brown. He's the only one that gets to be 100% the whole time. And unfortunately, that's a terrible extremist viewed uh, racist piece of shit. But, you know, it is what it is. So anyway, that is my idea for this uh, film here by the name of Headstrong. It's a way to kind of bring in all the protest stuff that's been happening in the country over 2020 to have a conversation about the new app Parlor, about the progress of extremist groups, about stupid ass band trapped and their idiot lead singer and uh and kind of squash it all together into a, a fun little package so i hope you liked it if you have some other casting ideas if you have some ideas on how to add to this story and kind of develop it a little bit more i'm always interested in hearing other uh points of view or more information more more story ideas for uh for some of these so Thank you so much for taking a listen to this new format that we have on Smack My Pitch Up, the uh, shortlist. 
I've been having fun coming up with these ideas, but if it doesn't end up being a lot of fun for you to listen to, please let me know. I like trying new stuff. I like trying new formats to see what works and what doesn't, but I can also take criticism. If you're not a big fan of it, uh, if you're not enjoying it, I do want to hear that. If you think it's great, if you're having a great time with these new original ideas that are coming out on the shortlist, then please let me know as well. I really am looking to gauge whether to go back to kind of the original format for now or to kind of stick this out and try some new stuff. So uh, hit us up at geeksundertheinfluence at gmail.com. Just put smack my pitch up or the shortlist in the subject line. Hit us up on our hotline at 804-505-4484. That's 804-505-4GUI. You can text or voicemail that number or just hit up our social media and uh, you can find all that information at guipodcast.com and uh, join the conversation. Let us know what you want to hear on future episodes of Smack My Pitch Up or other story ideas or current events or anything that would be fun to play with for a shortlist story. So I appreciate you taking the time to take a listen and I'll find you here next time for another episode of Smack My Pitch Up. Next one is going to be a holiday-themed reboot or remake. So definitely tune in for the next one to get your holiday jollies, as it were. I'm Mike the Hobbit, and you just got pitched back. GUIPodcast.com My name is Amy Bogard. And I'm Mike the Hobbit. And we are the hosts of Deeply Upsetting, where we use our expertise to answer your most upsetting hypothetical quandaries, such as what non-wigged animal deserves wings? And what body part deserves a secret mouth? Which cryptid is the worst roommate? These questions and more that plague you will be answered on Deeply Upsetting, available anywhere you get your podcasts and at GUIPodcast.com. Coming straight from the mouths of madness, I'm Lowdown. I'm F.U. Hunter. Do you love horror? We fucking do. So this is a podcast dedicated to all things in cinematic horror. We're talking movies, television, composers, special effects artists. We're going to fucking cover it. So if you love horror, embrace the madness. Hey guys, Scotty Big Daddy Preston here. That's right, the Geek Father asking you to join me here every other week with friends and family of the GUI Network as we go through all the trials and tribulations of being a geeky parent. So remember, join us or cry.